0: Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the App Advice weekly podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppAdvice.net and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice. In this episode, Trevor and I are taking notes while solving puzzles with siblings, frantically adjusting the scenery, and hitting the dioramic links. How are you doing tonight, Trevor?
1: doing good. It's, a, it's Valentine's Day week, and so we have some apps related to that, but as always, there's still some new games that stand on their own.
0: There's always plenty of games.
1: Yeah, and so there's not the most Apple news, but I was able to get the Apple Pencil this week, so I just wanted to talk about one particular new app. It's called, or it's not new, but new for me, and it's called MyScript Nebo which MyScript does a great job of handwriting recognition, whether it's their calculator app, and that's just, you know, gestures that you're swiping with your finger. And so MyScript Nebo is a note-taking app where you use the pencil and you write down a whole page of notes or whatever you want, and you simply double-tap on your handwritten notes, and it converts it to text. So that way... You know, I was using Penultimate, and it saves your notes to Evernote, but it's all handwritten form. That's not the easiest to send to other people. So these notes, it's text, and you can use that text as you would any other text. And it's a whole different way to kind of take notes because you have that friendly, familiar handwriting style, and then it converts it into the text that you normally use. So you don't have to use a keyboard. But then you can also, you know, combine your handwritten note with text-based notes because it's all in the same form
0: now once you switch it over to text is there a way uh, to like a digital text is there a way to switch it back to your notes or once you switch it over it's it's now in like a typed format it, you can't go back
1: i didn't see it go back but okay. i wasn't yeah, looking for a go back
0: Oh, right. I mean, if you're going to convert it, you're going to convert it. The one thing is this app does require you to actually own the Apple Pencil. If you don't, all you can do is read notes within it. You can't do anything with it. The only thing I was able to load it up and in their little demo stuff that's included with it, if I double tap, I could convert all this stuff they wrote in handwriting to actual type text. But then that was pretty much all I could do with it. I So... It's worth knowing you need to have an Apple Pencil to be able to use this app. You can't use just any stylus you might own. It has to be the Apple Pencil.
1: And it's also worth noting that I don't have the cleanest handwriting functionality but or form, and the app was able to figure out every single thing that I wrote. It was pretty outstanding. Oh, nice. And then the Apple Pencil, it doesn't have an eraser on the back end. You can't flip it over and erase. So this app uses that familiar MyScript function where you scribble out something that you wrote, and then it deletes it. And then there's also gestures where if if there's a space in between letters that you didn't originally want, you can swipe up on the line, and it will merge it. And if you swipe down, it will separate it if there isn't a space. So it's the only handwriting app that I found that has gestures as well as digital text and it's more than just writing or sketching it actually is like a full-featured note-taking app that just takes into account the apple pencil as a different input form
0: oh nice and and you can export to all kinds of popular formats in that app right you can do like docs and pdfs and whatever
1: yep and then there's all multiple cloud syncing services and all the good stuff
0: So with like the Apple Pencil 2 on the horizon, supposedly for this year, would you recommend getting an Apple Pencil? I'm not I'm still kind of on the fence because I thought worst case, the only thing I'd really use it for is maybe to try sketching and drawing, maybe the occasional note taking. But it's a hundred bucks. Is it would you say it's worth the hundred dollars to buy the Apple Pencil?
1: I don't think so. For me, I got it mainly because of the hand. I'm not much of a sketch draw, and artist type, but the handwritten idea, I just like handwritten notes or handwritten anything because I stopped really doing much handwriting once I got out of school. So I wanted to do that. And I mean, the Apple Pencil works the best of any stylus I've ever tried. And I've tried quite a few just the way where I like to rest my hand completely on the iPad. And just write really quick. And the Apple Pencil lets me fully do that without ever worrying or thinking about, you know, palm rejection sliders or anything like that. Just, you know, because it only focuses on the Bluetooth endpoint of the point of the the tip of the pencil. So it doesn't matter where your hand is.
0: Right, right. Okay.
1: But for $100, I would just buy a piece of paper and a regular pencil and (laughs) scan it with some PDF app if I really wanted a digital version of it
0: right right yeah i mean i'm kind of hoping that the the original pencil will go way down in price when the second one gets introduced and there's no like killer feature that i would feel like i needed to purchase the new one that i would be wouldn't be able to get by with the old one
1: yeah i i definitely would wait and see because the price drop i think of the first one might be more appealing than the pencil too especially if you're like i'm sure there's going to be like some deluxe illustrator features for it and maybe they add it where you flip your device over and it works as an eraser but with all the apps are made for this apple pencil one they have that built-in eraser functionality so you never have to flip you know you're it's more like a pen than a pencil even though it has pencil in the name so you're gonna like scribble something out or you tap on one of the ui buttons and now you have an eraser and then you script or erase something out so I don't know if I'd want to flip it over because you kind of get into the method of fully writing with the regular pen style.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Depending on how it felt in my hand, I might just instinctively want to flip it over and try to erase. But with that whole being able to scratch stuff out, that that seems like it would be just as easy to do. And if you train yourself, you're going to get used to some style, and then it doesn't really matter.
1: Yeah, the one thing that's missing with the pencil is some kind of carrying case, attachment. I mean, you just have this $100 white stick and you're like, (laughs) I don't want to lose it and I don't want to have it cracked in half. And I want to remember to bring it with me. It doesn't like magnetically attach to the iPad the way the smart connector or smart cover would. And there's no like little bag you could even put it in. So you have to like put it in a slot dedicated for it in your bag or something to bring it.
0: Right, and there's not even a clip that you could clip it on to like a uh like if you have a on your case if you have yeah. one of those little like pen holders there's no clip i mean all those are the stuff that's rumored for for pencil too that it will have this clip it'll magnetize so you can stick it right to the ipad and so i mean obviously they're going to address some of these things that people had complaints about but i'm surprised there's no third party thing you could get oh there's got to be something you the, can get. i've seen one where but it's it.
1: like a it's like a glue affixing to the thing
0: oh okay
1: there's one, I, I'm thinking, I found a link for something that was 30 bucks. that might have just been like a little magnetic clip, but then, I don't know, it's like this bulky addition to my iPad that I'm going to take off if I just want to use my iPad as an iPad.
0: Right, and plus that's $30, so it's like yeah. a third of the price. Of just the to hold itself. the pencil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I would just like a little bag, like a little velvet bag or something.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I could see that working.
1: Okay. But yeah, that's the Apple Pencil. I know it came out a while ago, but it's new to me, and if you're on the fence, like Brett is, because he's has the iPad Pro for a while, I think the best kind of takeaway is that there's some neat stuff out there, and by giving it so long, it allows a lot of really good apps to be made, so by the time you take in the, you know, dive on it with the second generation or a price discount on the first, all the software is flushed out. It's kind of like the touch bar on the MacBook Pro. A lot of stuff's not there right at the beginning, but you give it a year for next generation model, the touch bar's improved hardware-wise, and then all the software has been updated to catch up for it. So it might be better with these new Apple technologies to give it a year, give it a generation for all the software to actually come out for it, regardless of the quality of the hardware.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good advice.
1: And so that's the MyScript Nebo app. If you do have an Apple Pencil, it's the best one I've come across so far, and it's free. And it's iPad only and you need the Apple Pencil. And then speaking of Valentine's Day, up on App Advice, we have an app list for best apps for Valentine's Day, which includes, you know, sending greeting cards or buying flowers or decorating your phone or making special Valentine's themed recipes, or even just getting dinner reservations. So it's a neat list to check out on App Advice. And then yeah, some speaking, good stuff on there. Yeah, so with Valentine's Day, there's all those apps. There's also conveniently two new releases of games this week that tied into Valentine's Day. It's kind of like Staying Together was released at the end of 2015, and that game is a puzzle game where you have to move both characters together. Everything you do, if you move left, both characters move left. If you jump, both characters jump. So you have to use that idea to solve the puzzles, and that's kind of what Link Twin does. Staying together was more of a puzzle platformer. Link Twin is just a top-down puzzle game where you swipe and it's a sequencing order of operations idea where you need to get both twins to the proper points. And to do so, you might run against a wall so one goes up and the one stays fixed in a point or you might have to push boulders out of the way. And it's all these various things so you can arrange both twins so they land on the hot zone pads to solve each level.
0: Yeah, it's to me, I kind of like this better than staying together just because staying together was awkward to move because you had kind of half the screen was your left and right movement because it was set up like a platformer. And then you had your – I think it was a jump over on the right side, and it was just really awkward to move. It was a neat concept, but this one is more straightforward and more, I, I think – user-friendly for anyone to come and try it and you have that setup where you have a limited number of moves you're trying to uh, get them to those pads within and then you always have to be cognizant of how the other one's going to move so if you move to the left and one guy like say you're trying to they're lily and tom are the two the two kids and say you're trying to move tom and lily's over on the left side of the screen so if you move him to the left he she she might fall off the screen. Now you've lost and you gotta start over. So you always have to be aware of where the other one's gonna move when you swipe because they do move in unison. And like you said, you use the various objects on the wall. There's switches that can reveal these little boxes that now they can push up against the box so you can get enough distance between them maybe to line them up, how they have to line up. And it just the levels start getting more and more complex as they introduce these new Features like maybe the ball, first the balls show up, and then the next time the switches show up, then they start showing you levels that mix the balls and switches. So you have them both on the screen. So there's a lot going on, and it really starts getting challenging. You almost have to think about everything before you even make that first move and plan everything out. Otherwise, you're going to get into a situation where either there's no solution and you have to restart, or you're going to be way over that. Move count, and it's kind of like a trial and error learn kind of scenario.
1: And you know, you don't want to get to the next level unless you reach that goal move count. You know, because it's the three star scoring system. But when it gives you a target of fifteen moves, you want to complete it in fifteen moves. You don't want to do seventeen or nineteen. You feel obliged to replay.
0: Yeah, there's only one or two levels so far that I was like, I finally got it, and I made, I got them there. There's no way I'm going back and trying this again. (laughs) I'm just moving on.
1: Yep. And it's just a really, you know, well-executed gameplay style. And then there's a really nice design to just make a nice experience that has that unison sync idea for Valentine's Day, even though they're twins. But just you know, staying together is more the, you know, man and woman. This is just twins, so it's not the same idea. Yeah, those but
0: those twins.
1: Yeah. It has that <laughs> symbiotic nature where everything you do for one does for the other and you feel bad when you swipe one off the edge because they'll hold hands at the start of a level so you feel that direct connection and then there's a subtle storyline that's a little off Weird. but <laughs> the story's kind of in the background you don't have to be concerned with it too much it's just that puzzle game where there's sets of levels and you just want to keep going to the next one and then see the new mechanics that are introduced after every set of ten or so, and just keep going through all that's included.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's we, we've seen this this kind of setup before, but this is really well polished and well designed, and especially the level design. So uh, yeah, it's de- I definitely recommend checking that.
1: And it's Link Twin. It's a dollar ninety nine. It's universal, and then continuing the theme is Heartstar, which comes from the makers of Devious Dungeon, and it continues that retro art style. This one is like Link Twin, where you have two characters that are dependent upon one another, but rather than moving in unison, these characters have to rely on one another to move through the world. So you have the girl, she's tied to the red blocks, and then you have the boy, who's tied to the blue blocks, and they can only walk on their respective colored blocks. And so... If you are the girl and you jump over where the blue area is, you're just going to fall to your death because there's nothing to hold you. So you need to take that into account and the levels are set up so you might have to move the red character beneath the blue person so he can jump on top. And then when one's on top of another, you can move both together together. As you know the stack chain, and you have to use all these different mechanics where you might even need to use the red character as a base for the blue character to jump higher or vice versa, and you'll keep you know alternating the colors until both characters make it to that end point
0: yeah it's a it's a neat concept. I almost found it a little bit easier than. Uh, Link Twin, just because you did have a lot more freedom because you're moving the two people separately, but you still kind of have to pay attention to those colored areas so that you don't end up getting someone kind of blocked off, but they're never truly blocked off, because you could then Jump the person over and move them around. It kind of reminded me a bit of Super Happy Fun Block. Do you remember that game where you had, you could switch the one guy between the three different colors? He had like a red, a blue, and a yellow, I believe it was. And so there were, you constantly have to keep on switching those colors around to get people to locations where then they could reach the exit. And it's a similar concept, a different different because you in that one you were only ever using one person uh but this one uh the way they've done the levels it's really neat because you ha- like just like with Link twin, you almost kind of have to visualize most of it in your head first before you try to execute, otherwise odds are you're going to fail and you have to restart and try again
1: yeah the also the mechanic it reminded me of that I forget what it's called where you. Where the scientist and you jumped on top of your turtle and you can travel between time and the background changes based on what oh, point of time Oh, yes, I at.
0: remember that one. Yes, yes. Uh, I can't remember the name of that thing. Yeah. I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yes.
1: I don't think it was Chronicle, but it had something to do with it, time it travel. It was Chrono
0: idea. something. Yeah, it had yeah. Chrono in the title.
1: And just the idea of using two characters where you'll have to put one into position so that the other one can make it to the end point, And you have to keep alternating between points so that they both make it to that end point. Even that uh, that winter polar one with the Eskimos. So oh, yeah, yeah, I know which one Yeah, Inuatu into, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Anyway, but that
1: one, yeah, any but, yeah. of those games that rely on two characters that are dependent upon one another, I really like that idea, and this one boils it down into a single screen puzzle. So rather than, you know, in a lengthy spanning adventure, you have a single area to get to, you can see the entire level on a single screen, and with Link Twin, it's more kind of methodical, plan out every single move before you do it and then you're very careful with every single move you make. Heartstar offers a little more experimentation because you don't have that move restriction and you feel like you can just, you know, hop over here, try if that works, see if you reach a certain height, if the blue guys on the bottom so the girl can jump on top or, you know, how far over can I push the blue person, you know, cuz you can push him as well along horizontal lines. And so you can have this whole long red line that the blue guy would just fall straight through. But once you're the red person, you can push him along it because the blocks are then solidified.
0: Right. Yeah. If I had to say, look, this one almost marries the best parts of Link Twin and staying together in one thing. It's way less stressful than staying together was. And and, but you still have the planning that you need to do kind of like with link twin but you still like, like exactly what you said you don't have that move counter that stresses you out to no end so you have this freedom to experiment and try things and see how things work rather than immediately trying to plan everything in your mind ahead of time and you can you can do some experimentation
1: yep I really think that's a great example. It combines what was good about staying together with what's good about linked Twins and just makes it even more accessible. It's really, that's kind of the main takeaway. It has these relatively, at least, you know, you have some thought required in these puzzles, but it makes it so it's not super challenging or super hard to get into. And it has that platformer idea, but everything's self-contained on screen. The camera's not shifting around, so you can just focus on the challenge at hand. And so that's Heart Star. It's free, it's universal. So Link Twin, Heart Star, they're the nice Valentine's Day themed games. And then there's OK Golf, which has nothing to do with Valentine's Day at all. But it, <laughs> it it's interesting because at first glance it looks like it's made by Square Enix and it's a continuation of Hitman Go, Lara Croft Go and Deus Ex Go. But instead it's not from Square Enix at all. It's just a golf game with that similar design aesthetic. And it's an arcade idea simply because you don't have to worry about wind or what club you're using. You just pull back on your golf ball, you have a trajectory arrow of where it's gonna go, you release it and set it on set the ball on its way. And as I'm playing the game, I mean it's made super accessible, and then there's still like relatively challenging course layouts, level designs, and the way the rough area is or the sand traps, or mountains, or the way the... You could... Some have some holes give you kind of this forking pathway idea where you could take the long route, you know, it's a par 5, you can just hit to where the fairway is, or you could be risky and try to kind of hit it over the mountain to try to get directly to the hole and save a shot, but in doing so, you might end up landing in a sand pit, hitting a cactus, falling into the river... And then it takes you two strokes just to get out of the predicament because once you're in one of these hazard areas, your possible trajectory doesn't go as far as when you're on the fairway. So you have that kind of puzzly idea as you're playing the traditional golf style.
0: Yeah, so as far as the visual style, there is a reason why they do look very similar. The The company that makes this game is called dokio, and yeah. it's actually founded by two guys... I don't know if they both did, but one of them at least used to work at Square Enix Montreal, which is the studio that makes all of those uh, the great Go games. Uh, yeah. Hitman Go and Lark. So they def- they may have had some experience with this. But, yeah, it has that whole awesome diorama-like view, and you can scroll around it with your finger to, to spin it around and pinch to zoom in and out. And y- it really distills everything down to that simple, like, uh almost like slingshot mechanic for for hitting and stuff but the level design is really nice for these holes because you you do have choices so you might take the what looks like should be the the actual path around the hole to just hit it as far as you can stay on the fairway hit it again stay on the fairway and then eventually get it and get par if you start scanning around the course and look at that hole and you'll start to find other ways that you can hit it around that hole to shave off points and hopefully get a birdie or better, and that'll give you your three stars. So it's at first, it just looks like a simple, okay, it's fairly obvious where I need to go. But then once you start to dig deeper on each of these holes and you play them over and over and over again, you really start to learn the little nuances and little areas of where you might be able to squeak a ball in and hopefully it'll stay on the fairway so you don't get that abbreviated little shot line that your your second shot or third shot's going to go nowhere because you can't do the extended super long shot. So it's really an interesting interesting way they've set it up because they do give you choices it's not like a traditional golf game where you're kind of just going to stay on the fairway and just go ahead there's all these other little areas of good green areas that you can land on and not have horrible shots and you just got to look for them and so it is that puzzly aspect of each one of the levels as well
1: yeah it's really neat that you actually have to consider so much where you're going to land because you don't have different clubs to deal with. If you land in a bad area, you're just going to have a restricted shot. So you want to land on the fairway as often as you possibly can. The one thing for me is that it has that diorama kind of board game style, but it seems to infuse that into the actual gameplay. So the physics engine is really weird when your ball lands (laughs) it acts like it hits a piece of wood like you just landed on a table or something it's not like it hit grass or anything and that kind of just threw me off with every single shot and then also the camera controls you just want to get to your next shot and it your shot cancels you have no idea why you're just trying to line it up and the camera keeps shifting around and messing things up so those are the two main problems i had
0: those were the exact problems I had. So with the the landing of the ball, it seems like once you get to the like the Japanese gardens, it, they tend to roll a lot more. Like I don't understand. Like the roll physics seems to vary by course. There's some where you just land and you don't move at all, and you can see that the green has like these hills on it. That the ball should, if it actually followed the contours of the green, it should roll back towards the hole, and it doesn't always do it. It seems like it's hit or miss, whether or not something happens. Most of the time, it just kind of stays there, especially on that first course. And then for the, as far as, yeah, the the tilt and zoom and those controls, once you start messing with it, it seems so glitchy to get it back to a state where you can get it back to where you want to see the ball so you can drag back and not have it cancel on you when you're trying to get that more powerful dragging back fully uh, shot. So you have that one where you pull back and then you have that length. Then if you pull back a little bit further, then you'll get the second length. And it's usually on that second length that I end up getting a cancel or something because it it. And it's usually after I've done like a zoom or moved around the diorama to kind of see what was around. And I think they just really need to fix that glitchy camera and that'll help resolve a lot of that. But again, if they revisited the the physics and made sure that the roll was a little more natural and how you would expect it. I mean, granted it saves you sometimes when you're hitting onto like a little Island fairway segment, but other times when it hits the green, you really want to roll close, then you're not going to get any roll.
1: And it even seems inconsistent from not just course to course, but hold to hole where you'll hit it like smack dab on the green five yards short of the pin and you expect it to roll and it kind of just dies and then you'll hit it where you almost on the next hole you're like right over the hole and rolls past it out of bounds you're like is it going to just die on me or is it going to roll it's not like i applied any backspin there's no options for spin so it's right. yeah. really weird that it would just not hit the green the same way especially within the same course and it becomes frustrating because you have this whole puzzle idea and if there's inconsistencies it hurts your puzzle solution ability
0: right well especially on that very first hole in order to get 3 stars you need to get a 2 and you need it to roll into that hole. It is almost impossible to land it directly in that hole on your second shot. So you need it to roll. And then I must have tried that hole about 10 or 15 times in a row until I finally got it to roll that tiny little bit I needed to get it in so I could three-star it. And it, it, it ended up being kind of frustrating just because of that, like having to redo it and redo it. I will say that once you're on the green, this is like the most easiest putting you've ever done in your life. You basically just drag the circle till it goes over the 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 flag and you're pretty much guaranteed it's going in. There's really nothing, no thought about the contour of the green, nothing you have to think about whatsoever. You just kind of line up the hole and you know you're getting that putt in.
1: It doesn't even, you know, part of the physics, it doesn't take into account the curvature of the green that often. Like, you no. see, like, there's this slope, and you're like, if I just pull it straight, is it going to go in, or is it going to roll off to the left because there's a slope, and it just goes in, you're like, well, <laughs> that wasn't very <laughs> tough. So you just have to get on the green, and then you're pretty much in.
0: Yes, if you get on the green, you're in. Even if the, the little circle doesn't go far enough to reach the flag... As long as you aim in the right direction and pretty much have it on that flag, you're going to get it in. And I I mean, it's yeah, you're happy you got it in, but I wish they would adjust a little bit more just to play towards the slope of the green to make it a little more difficult or at least allow you to use that in your factoring because anyone that plays a golf game is used to doing that. Like they're not, especially if you're going to show a slope, like if you're not going to have a slope, don't show a slope and just let it go in. But if yeah. you're gonna show the slope there, you have to take it into into effect and you have to make sure that it does something.
1: And then just also when you swipe, you know, for that full blast and it kinda is like shuddering, you know, the orange little streak of your yes. trajectory. Yeah. It I couldn't get away for it to be consistent it seemed completely random where the ball was going to land within that circle that it showed based on when I released, I tried, you know, various ways to kind of have some impact on my shot. And there was, it just was like, no, we're going to drop somewhere in that hole around that trajectory land point.
0: Yeah. It said something about like, you have to hold it still until it settles down and then you release. And yeah, so I would do that. And you're exactly right. It, Sometimes it would land where I thought it was going to land. Other times it was just I don't even know what it hit. Maybe it hit a tree or something. I don't know. I'd like occasionally I would see like a one leaf kind of flying, so I it must have hit a tree or something. That kind of altered it but yeah it wasn't necessarily reliable i think it's just a matter of them going back and tweaking it a little bit i don't think this is i I don't think it's a bad game by any means like i really enjoyed it i just wish they would tweak these certain little things to make the experience more reliable and clean rather than kind of these little frustrations that creep up on you while you're playing
1: yeah they have a good infrastructure And it just seems like it could use another month or two of just polishing up Physics Engine and the camera and the way the actual ball trajectory and controls work. Yes, yep. And that's OK Golf. It's $2.99 and it's universal. And then finally for new games this week is Stagehand, which comes from the makers of The Incident, and it actually is a subtle continuation. You get to play as the same character, but instead of the game where all the stuff is raining down and you have to jump onto the different objects to keep rising with the items. This game is a platformer that's set in reverse where the main character runs automatically and you simply drag the actual platforms so that he can run or jump onto them. So if it's going to be a jump, you want to raise the platform he's on up so he can easily clear the gap to the lower platform. You'll always want that forward platform to be lower, or if he's just running along, you might have one platform that is down below and the upcoming one is up. And so he's going to smack into the wall unless you either raise the current platform or lower the next platform. So you have to keep doing this to allow the main character to run for as long as possible. So even though it's a platform or set in reverse, it's actually an endless runner with your character auto-running and you're just shifting the platforms.
0: Right, but it has a different feel than a normal auto runner. Like, yeah. I almost feel like this is much more intense than any auto runner because you cannot take your eyes off the thing for even a second. You really have to be on it because if he even hits one platform that he can't kind of edge himself on, then. He's going to – that wall is going to catch up behind him, and he's just going to slam, and it's going to be game over. The one thing I thought was really cool with it is as you're running, if you flick up these these pieces while he's on them really high, it almost acts like a traditional jump button would in Mm -hmm. a platformer, and he kind of goes flying over segments of it, so that way – that's how you can kind of regain some ground on the rear wall. So it's not catching up to you as quickly. If for some reason you might stumble a little bit and he kind of slows down because he has to climb up. So there's ways to kind of regain your ground, but you can never really falter. Otherwise it's going to be quickly game over. There's not a lot of time to recover from a mistake.
1: Yeah. The screen keeps moving. And if your character gets hit by the back wall, that's it. And so you want to have as many flat surfaces as possible because he might be able to climb a gap between two platforms, but doing so slows him down. So all that just slowing down versus the full sprint ahead is going to lead you to getting hit by that back wall. So you always want him to be as clean as possible. So like you said, you're constantly aware to shift as many platforms as you can so it's a continuous surface for him to run.
0: Yeah, I I end up the way I end up playing this. I tried it on the the iPhone and I had a little trouble. The way I ended up playing it was on my iPad. I basically have the iPad on kind of leaning on a table or leaning on my lap. I had two fingers going one in each hand, and I'm constantly kind of trying to line things up in advance so that he never reaches a segment where he's going to be in trouble. Or if I can't, I'll try to quickly flip him up. Usually, the things that tripped me up were when I had to drag a wall down in order to get it out of his way. He usually ended up running into the wall before I could get to it. And then it was game over.
1: Yeah. The one thing I wish is that it wasn't endless. I mean, you could make this into like that plumber game where it was an inverse platform or inverse platformer. You played as the bad guys. It yep. was neat because it was distinct levels to complete. This game would really benefit from distinct levels where the developers went and made course layouts with specific, you know, rearrangement of all the different tiles. But just that endless nature, after you play a few t- times, this is neat, I made him run a certain distance, you're like, and then? you There's just never... You know, you start in that same beginning, you're just, okay, I got to 400 meters, great, now what? Because just with the idea of a platformer, you expect levels, regardless right, of anything. Is,
0: it is randomly generated, so it's not going to be the exact same thing every time. But what I, I would love to see is at least have, like, if they didn't do levels, levels would have been cool. Uh, but at least have it, like, they do kind of a Super Mario Brothers here. Why not go to all kinds of popular platformers and kind of change up the scenery and kind of recreate your own versions of all these different popular platformers that people might recognize and then have it randomly pick one of these so at least it looks slightly different or feels slightly different each time you play or – give you the choice of going to one of these different types so that you have something that's slightly different. I mean, the layout will be a little bit different, but unless you have a lot of friends playing and competing, going back and forth for high scores, There's not a ton of incentive to keep on replaying over and over again unless you want to better your own score. But it's the type of thing, it's going to be driven by leaderboards. Just that's the way it's set up and that's how it's going to be. Where if you have the level-based setup, then maybe there'd be more incentive for someone who's not driven by leaderboards to keep going back and replaying and replaying.
1: Yeah, that's a really good idea. You could, because then it would give you incentive to unlock, like, say I unlocked it Mega Man style or Sonic style or Earthworm Jim or you know all these different art styles it gives you that incentive okay I actually want to earn the coins because this next you know mode costs a thousand coins or whatever right now the unlockable characters they're not much incentive at all and then just (laughs) also putting it platformer in the title you literally call it a reverse platformer it's stagehand a reverse platformer so now someone who likes platformers is more inclined to download the game and then just that whole history of platformers you kind of expect levels if you would have called it an endless runner it's a whole different audience and expectation going in
0: right exactly yeah i totally see what you mean
1: it's fun but i don't know how long it's going to last on my device
0: yeah i it's same same here i I mean I do have a see a couple people on the leaderboard that I know that I'm kind of tempted to try to get them, but one of the scores is, is so insanely high that I don't know how they possibly did it unless they're actually like a savant at this or they got a great layout. I don't have no idea
1: and so that's stage hand it's a dollar ninety nine it's universal, and that's everything for me. How about you?
0: Uh, So I'm not going to go into detail, but just two titles I wanted to mention that came out this week are uh, Miss Fisher and The Deathly Maze, which is Tin Man Games. They kind of went a little bit different direction they normally do their game books. this one 's kind of almost like an interactive it 's based on a Australian uh mystery TV series, and you play as this detective this female detective who goes around trying to solve a murder and it's it 's got elements almost kind of of the the ace attorney kind of setup where you 're searching for clues and then you're interviewing people going around to different locations it 's a really neat kind of interactive. Uh, almost like an interactive episode of the show, and they did a really great job of with the writing and and the setup of this. And then one other one I wanted to mention was uh, I love me my uh, point and click adventures, and there was a great one that came out this week that was previously on Steam and now it's out on iOS, and it's called Nellie Kootalot the Foul Fleet, and it's a really humorous uh tale of this little female uh, this girl who's like a a pirate and she's going around chasing after Ah, uh, pirate, white beard, and trying to get his, and he stole her treasure, and so she's trying to go get it back. And it's got fantastic dialogue, and it's that that classic style that you you see in like the Sierra Online games and the LucasArts games, and so just really well done. And both of those are available for two ninety nine each, and they're Universal apps.
1: And then I'll be sure to include links to everything we talked about and even mentioned in the description. I did find out that the game is called Never Alone Key Edition or Kai Edition for that Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, polar yeah. adventure game. And then chronology, time changes chronology. everything, is the time shift where you get to ride on a turtle and you're like a scientist.
0: And so, now, Is that a paid game now? Because I remember it switched. I can't remember if I paid for it or if it became a paid game. Like I thought it was free and it had an unlock. Now I think it's actually a full paid game. I can't remember though.
1: No, I don't. I still, I just have the iCloud icon, but under top in app purchase it says part two, so. Oh, okay. So it yeah. still
0: is that in that purchase. Okay.
1: And I think that's everything for episode six of the App Advice Weekly podcast. Brett, thanks for joining me.
0: Yes, yeah, pleasure as always.
1: To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time.
0: Talk to you later.